Hit me with it. Ten more days until we are reunited with the love of our lives. Hit the romantic music, Johnny. Guys, in ten days from this recording on March 1st, 2021, we get our potatoes back at Taco Bell. We are reunited and you at can last. Stop listening to us rant about these freaking potatoes every time we come on. But here. don't stop listening to us. No, but we will just stop talking about them until Taco Bell. I don't know. Does something. Next time we record, we probably will get tacos. Yeah. So you'll just hear how happy we are. And then that's we gonna promise, be some weird shit. We it's weird ASMR shit. We will not eat them on air. <laughs> well, you say that. Well, but. okay. How about this? We'll declare right here. When we get them next month, or at the end of the month when we record again on like March 30th or whenever yeah. we're doing it, we will go live while we eat the tacos. Okay. We're going to have to move that timeline because usually we go live between episodes. Yeah. We'll go live at the beginning of the night. We'll eat some tacos. Yes. We'll hang out. It'll be great. Because I'm, I'm on a clock. <laughs> <laughs> Once I get past 530, my body turns into a bitch. It's like a Cinderella effect, except we, we're a not eating dinner at seven o'clock. Sorry. Yeah, it's not gonna happen. But come join us uh, the last Wednesday of the month for Taco Time. Ta- you know, if you want to bring your own tacos, yeah, we could have a taco. We should taco- have a taco, taco pa- party. Okay, we're gonna make a graphic. We're gonna post it on Instagram. We'll let you know when we're going live. Yes, taco party last Wednesday of the month to celebrate these tacos coming back. This has nothing to do with our podcast. If Absolutely you're new here, not a damn thing. This is She Will Rock You. I'm Leah. I'm Beth Ann. And yeah. this is She Will Rock You. I know. <laughs> Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up before I haunt you. Let me turn down the thermostat. This is bad. We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rock You. It's I'm Leah. I'm Beth Yeah, Ann. I said, if you're new here, this is She Will Rock You, and I'm Leah. I'm Beth Ann. And then it doesn't work. <laughs> well, fuck it. We're running with it. Okay. All right. So it's a new month, which means we have yes. s- small business items at the beginning of this to go through. We have known, we have new reviews. I'm not going to yell at you guys for not leaving reviews, because like three people did. Thank you. But you didn't write anything. So we don't know how to thank you by name. So... Well, thank you in our hearts. Thank you, but go write something so we know who you are. <laughs> uh, second order of business is we have a new financial supporter. We do. Our friend Lizzie, Lizzie Sunshine. Love her. She's our newest anchor supporter. Um, we don't want to get on here and beg people for money because we do this out of the goodness of our hearts and pay for everything. Correct. But we would like to upgrade our gear at some point. Yeah. So if you'd like to donate to the gear fund. To let you all know, me and Leah have been sharing an Adobe Creative <laughs> Cloud account. Please don't listen to this Adobe. We've broken a lot of rules, but we've been sharing an Adobe Creative account for what, two years now? Yeah. And <laughs> we each pay $15 a month. It's fine. It's a great deal. Yeah. <laughs> My computer thinks I'm Beth Ann, though. It's fine. <laughs> But what's really cool about it is Leah can see the things I save. Because you save everything to the cloud. Well, because where else am I going to put it on my desktop? That's where all my stuff lives. No. <laughs> I save it to the cloud so I can find it because I'm incredibly disorganized on my <laughs> desktop. So once I found that out, I may have saved a file called Trump's Nudes. <laughs> it was just it was just a nude color palette based off of a Trump photo. Well, you see, you had Trump and then you had all the different nude palettes yes. that a company complement, if you will. It was genius. 
So there you go. Uh, but all that to say, if you do feel like you would like to support us, you can find that info on our anchor page. Pay through them. Or you can Venmo us, but that's that's sketchy. Don't do that. Yeah, probably anchor account. That money will go to tacos. Is that in our um, Facebook link tree? It's in all of our link trees, which are now, you can find us on TikTok. That's... Ooh, item number two, three. The, item number oh, three. Oh, yeah, that is item number three. Uh, TikTok. We're there... I feel very old trying to figure out how the hell to edit video on my phone because I edit video on a computer all day. Yeah. I'm figuring it out. But we have exactly two videos up. So I'm sure we'll have more by Friday when you're listening to this. But that is all the business. All business items. Now we can start our meeting. Business, business, business. Business, business, business. Like work, work, work. <laughs> okay. So I'm a little ashamed because I'm talking about Green Day in March. <laughs> Which was not planned. (laughs) I'm going to tell you right now. First off, you should know, me and Leah have this thing called the podcast site. Meaning, just artists, we just get confirmation. We're supposed to do an artist. Yep. Or that that we're not supposed to do an artist. Because that happened to me this month. Exactly. So this this is a, I would say a site moment. But I was thinking and thinking and I'm just like, oh shit, what am I going to do? Leah plans hers far in advance. It's fine. I'm more of... I got to let the moment come to me. And I was like, oh, Green Day might be good. And then I literally typed it to Leah in a text. <laughs> I was like, I think I'm going to do Green Day. And then I was like, fuck. That was the next text, by the then way. Then I sent fuck. back shamrock emoji day. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. So I apologize that it's kind of campy here and kind of matchy matchy, but it's what the site wanted. It works. It's what the site got. If it makes you feel better. When I got in the car the next day, a Green Day song was on. So I'll take that as my confirmation. The universe said yes. That's right. So anyway, um, so this is kind of our first time talking about a punk band. Yeah. I mean, Rage kind of falls in that line, but they're probably more on the metal side. Yeah. So this is our first time. It's kind of exciting. And I would listen to a lot of punk inspired music in the day. Not a ton of it, but I think. Punk is, we'll talk more about it. It's the root of everything I listen to. It will You can trace it easily back to punk. Um, Green Day is also the quintessential I went to high school around 2008 band. Yes, correct. <laughs> correct. The starter pack, if you yes. will. And to give you a hint, I do have some really fun, really bonkers punk topics planned for the future. Not today, but... I'm telling you, the punk scene is just wild. It is. It is wild. I love it. I almost went punk this month as oh, well. Oh, you did? Yeah. but uh, The site stopped you. S- stay tuned for that story. The site stopped you. It knew. Okay. So let's go ahead and get into it. We're going to start, as I do with a lot of bands, kind of talk about their early history for each of them, see where they united, where they became a thing. Who they are. Who they are. So we're going to start with Billy Joe. Armstrong and apologize if I say Billy Joel because that's all my mind wanted to say this entire time. <laughs> what? I just I just I'd covered a memory that I forgot. Oh, please share. There was a. Gr- <laughs> so did you did you have to do this in middle school? Did you have to write journals? Yes. Were you just like either your teacher gave you a random ass prompt and they're like, tell me about your dream last night. Yeah. So I was in smart people English and they made us do like a word count quota. Mm-hmm. And so we had to just, we, we just wrote bullshit. All of us. Yeah. Did. And this girl who I will not name in case anyone listening to this knows who I'm talking about. She was 
hopelessly in love with Billy Joe. Oh, no. And so every single sentence written in her journal that year was about him. <laughs> every, like, every poem we ever wrote was a love poem to him. Every story we had well, to write fun. would be about her and him getting married. Like, so I cannot think about the name Billy Armstrong well, without being transferred to middle school. I'm going to be saying it a lot. So. <laughs> I'm over here sitting mentally in my seventh grade English classroom. Uh, that's fine. You know, when I think about Green Day, I get transported back to middle school, too. So I think that's appropriate. Anyway, so Billy Joe Armstrong was born on February 17th, 1972 in Oakland, California. But he would spend most of his child- childhood in Rodeo, California. Billy, he's the same age as my mom. Your mom's born in 1972? Yeah. My mom was born in 1950. <laughs> my mom is young. but Oh, that's I, true. I don't, I can't handle that they're the same age. Eesh. Well, I mean, his kids, this isn't in there, but his kid, I think his kid was born in 1994. That so makes be, sense. Should be our age, which is also weird to think about. I'm uncomfy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, starting out great. <laughs> anyway, he's in Rodeo, California. He is the youngest of six children. His dad was a jazz musician and a uh, truck driver his mom was a waitress at hickory pit barbecue <laughs> um at a young age and i don't know if this is like true because the only way i found this info was on a very very old internet page from the 90s like it was dot php oh and it looks like class one of code academy they didn't even bother coding it they're no. like text on page done so i'm gonna go with it because you know why not but supposedly at a young age, he would go to the hospitals and sing to make the patients feel better. That's cute. And then at age five, he recorded his first song called Look for Love at a local radio company. I got to pull this song up for you. Hold on. Let me go to YouTube. I'm not going to play it because I do not know if this is copywritten. And I really don't feel like finding out, to be honest with you. That's the cutest thing I've ever seen. I know. It's so cute. Um, like I said, I'm probably not going to play it for copyright reasons, but we'll link it in our Facebook group. We'll put it on TikTok. We'll put it on TikTok. No one cares about copyright on TikTok. That's right. And this is also a shout out. Go join our Facebook group. Yeah, we'll put it there. Yeah, we'll put it there. Um, but allow me to describe this for you because first off, I showed Leah the picture. Young Billy Joe. Looks like an adorable younger version of Willy Wonka Gene Wilder edition. Yeah. Like the hair. Yeah. Just really brings me to that. But it's like cute. It's not a creepy way. It's no, cute. It's adorable. Um, also the sound. <laughs> I forgot I wrote this. Uh, the song sounds like something that was recorded for the Sunday special at church. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, you know, that was recorded and he like sung. He like dubbed his own voice on it as he's singing along yep. in front of the congregation and the congregation's clapping with him. You know, if you're at the charismatic circle like I was, the tambourine's getting pulled out. Maybe you'll get some dancing in the hall. Who knows? Maybe some dancing in the pews. I think it's worthy of that. <laughs> um, but like I so said, that's not me diminishing its value. That's just exactly what it reminds it, me yeah. of. And it's just adorable is what I'm trying to get at. At age 10... There were some significant events that would take place in his life. Unfortunately, the first one is his dad did pass away from cancer, which is really sad. 
But also at age 10, he would meet Mike Dirnt in the cafeteria, who's the, the future bassist of Green Day. And they would just immediately bond over Def Leppard and Ozzy. As, I love as we that. all do. <laughs> That's when it starts. Age 10. Listen to Ozzy. Take it from a pro. <laughs> um, also, their relationship kind of reminds me of Flea and Anthony Kiedis from Red Hot Chili Peppers. I can see that. Like, because they're just getting into trouble roaming the town while their parents work. Now, they're not jumping into pools from you know skyscrapers but you know they were smarter than that yeah a little smarter than that but it's really cute uh but lastly at age 10 he would receive his first guitar a Ferdinand Stratocaster he would call blue because it was blue wow and fun fact he still plays it to this day that's cool so in um basket case I'm assuming you've seen that this video so that guitar he brings out the guy that's blue oh yeah it's really cool when I told that to Josh, Josh said, I bet you that's the most shittiest sounding guitar ever. And I'm like, well, probably, but also it's adorable. It is adorable. He has made enough money to get new pickups and all new guts yeah. for that thing. Yeah. The guitar means a lot. <laughs> that's that's completely acceptable. Um, also, I'm not sure where this fits in the timeline, but sometime after his father passes, his mom marries again and the dude doesn't like kids don't marry people with kids if you do not like kids (laughs) but this serves into the perfect segue to billy discovering punk music i mean because you know unlikable stepfather is the gateway drug to punk music just how it works yeah um but his brothers were the first people to introduce him to punk i want to say around the age of like 13 or 14 and in an article i read from kerrang uh They said, like, his change to, like, playing punk music was so sudden. It started when he was watching an MTV Bowed the Bands, and and the punk band Crash came in, um, was on the show, and they came in second. Or, I wrote last, but I'm pretty sure it's second. And to quote the article, who is quoting Billy, he said, quote, he's like, at first, this is going to be so great. This is a great song. Finally, we're getting something good to fuck this channel and fuck the radio, and I can't (laughs) take it anymore. And then he has converted into a punk. That's all um, it takes. Yes. So we're going to pause him. Now we're going to move over to Mike Dirt. So Michael Ryan Pritchard was born May 4th, 1972, also in Oakland, California. Um, at the age of six weeks, he was given up for adoption. Um, his mom was a teenager at the time and unfortunate drug addict. So like. He got adopted. Uh, when he was young, he was known for being super ambitious, really did well in school. Um, but Is he an Enneagram 3? Probably. <laughs> well, he's going to turn into a 4 real quick. <laughs> but um, after his parents divorced, that really just like changed and he kind of like withdrew and things like that. But in grade school, this is where he gets his name Dirt because... And there's two versions of the story. I don't know which one is correct. We're just going to go with it. But either he brought a bass guitar into school all the time or he would play air bass. I don't know which one it is. But regardless, he got his name of how the sound of the the sound he would make when plucking the strings. So that's where he gets the name. That's dirt. So he's also like Flea because he is a bass. <laughs> I forgot about that. Okay, folks. First off, listen to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yes. 
like they are just wild but then you're gonna go from there and you're gonna go watch the james Corden carpool karaoke with flea with uh, red hot chili peppers but ultimately flea just watch flea the whole time that's all you need the to man do. does not have a bass in that car but he's sitting there going <laughs> dun, 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 dun. like every he's, bass line he's just playing it you know at some point every bass just becomes one with the bass yep that's that's it what only it is. happens with bassists only bassists not guitarists not singers nope. not drummers bassists um speaking of drummers let's move on to trey cool frank edwin wright the third was born I can see why he changed that yeah <laughs> was born on december 9th 1972 in frankfurt west germany eh. his family would eventually move to california though where he would meet larry hayes his neighbor we're going to talk about larry a couple times in this story oh no um but age 12 larry hayes would recruit trey to play drums in his punk band called the lookouts the thing is trey had never played drums before but supposedly larry says he thought that trey would be perfect for them because quote he makes a lot of noise and gets attention so I you mean, know, that's what it takes to be a good drummer. Where's the lie? Is what I'm saying. I'm married to a drummer. I know a couple drummers. Where's the lie? But I also, <laughs> I need to talk about the lookouts for a second. I don't know why I find this hilarious, but my mind just like sees these things and I don't know. They just seem absolutely hilarious situations. So the band age, age range here is 12 to 14. They're based in a remote mountain community. And at, you know, the bright, divinely blessed with intelligence beyond their years, young Larry Hayes at first could hardly find people to join his punk band because all the residents were hippies and, quote, completely uninterested in the music he wanted to make. So. <laughs> Please tell me this kid went on to be a band manager. Oh, we're, you're close. Oh, you're close. Uh, but back to his band, Larry decides we. We all need bitchin' last names. So he goes from Larry Hayes to Larry Livermore. Ew. No way. This is how he got the name. So it comes from a nuclear research plant in Livermore, California, because there's nothing more fuck you to the system than naming yourself after a nuclear research plant in Livermore, California. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. The basis Kane. I'm going to completely butcher this last name, unfortunately. Hans Schenk. We're going to go with it. Doesn't matter. His name gets changed. Yeah, he, this is the only time he gets mentioned. Uh, his name gets changed to Kang Kong. Like King Kong, Jeez. but Kang Kong. Jeez. This is why I don't do like 12-year-olds name themselves. Um, and then Trey. But his family already called him Trey, so that's kind of where he got it picked up from. And it has something to do with like... Like... Some with his German name. Maybe it's a three in his name. Kind of Trey. I don't know. Um, that is a thing. I knew a Trey in high school and he's a third. Oh, okay. That might be what it is. Uh, but his name gets changed to Trey Cool. And I just love how Wiki breaks this down. I'm going to quote it. Trey took on the name of Trey Cool using both the French word Trey, meaning very, and the English word cool as a way of saying very cool. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for that analysis. Oh, wow. That is so deep. <laughs> you know, that's why you go to Wiki. You go to the, you go to the big brain. Big brain. <laughs> big brain moment. Big brain research. Anyway, so we've, we've gone over the intro of who are, who are amazing bandmates are. Oof. So now how does this band form? 
Well, let's flash back over to the best friends, Billy Joe and Mike Dirt. At age 15, they're forming a band called Sweet Children with another dude named Sean Hughes. Hughes doesn't last long. They bring in another guy named John Kiff Meyer. Their first show is at Hickory Pit Barbecue, where his mom is a waitress. What the fuck is up, Hickory Pit Barbecue? Huh? What the fuck is up, Hickory Pit Barbecue? <laughs> what the fuck is up? Oh, I'm making that into a graphic. Okay, me and Leah are referencing the quintessential what the fuck is up, Denny's. And if you are going to listen to this podcast about rock history, this is equally, this meme is about rock history. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so they played with 30 people in attendance. That is all I can picture is that exact scene <laughs> in a barbecue restaurant now. Um, but soon they would start playing at the famed 24 Gilman. And this place is like a pinnacle punk venue in California. Bands such as Operation Ivy, which would eventually like evolve into Rancid and No Effects, just in the kind of name few would like often frequent. Um, there's a guy who I'm going to talk about a little bit in here. He's a YouTuber named Punk Rock MBA. Love his stuff. Please go check it out. I do a lot of research. Like I'll watch his videos on a lot mm-hmm. of subjects because he's just he does such a good job with it but he kind of compares like 924 gilman kind of like cb uh cg yeah is it cgbg the club out in new york that sounds right yeah my i should know it because i'm from there yeah cbgb but i just couldn't think of it phonetically um but anyway that's what he compares it to and this place is like super underground slash diy punk scene um, in 1988, our friend Larry Livermore enters the picture, but this time as a record producer. Ah, I was cl- I was close. Yeah, I told you, you're so close. But since launching the Lookouts, that branched into Lookout with an exclamation point. Of course, magazine, which then turns into Lookout Records, which is tied to like 924 Gilman. This next section has nothing to do with. Well, it has a little bit to do with Green It does have something to do with Green Day. But I really need to talk about it because, one, I'm ADHD. And then, two, like, I get excited when I find things like this. I don't know why. So while perusing Larry Livermore's Wikipedia, I stumbled upon a phrase I've never heard before called queercore. Now, my internal ears perked up because coming from the scene of Warped Tour 2005, I know the latter core is the anchor for a lot of subgenres, yes, such as hardcore, metalcore, deathcore, spongecore, spongecore, spongecore. Isn't there's some more homework for you guys? Go look yeah. up spongecore, particularly b boo boo bop. <laughs> that's that's a bop, so to speak. Um, but anyway, so what is queercore? It is a subcore of the punk DIY underground scene that. We're in the LGBTQ fam and would talk about the injustice facing the LGBTQ plus community, which I fucking love. I mean, I think that's like a natural marriage yeah. between punk and talking about, you know, the LGBTQ world. I think that's fa- fantastic. So there was a lot of also different like punk zines in general, but there's a lot of punk queer zines too. That makes sense. Which is short for magazine in case anyone doesn't know. Um, but one of them, Oh, God. I just love it. One of these magazines is called Holy Tick Clamps. (laughs) (laughs) 
and the page is still up from the 90s. Oh, my and God. It just made my day to know this existed. Please show me this page. I'm put, it's not secure, but I'm putting it on your computer. That's a Mac. It'll be okay. Hold on. I need to go to Wiki and pull it. They Maybe. didn't have uh, security firewalls back in the 90s. Please do not search tit clamps on my computer. That's how it's trying to avoid. That's actually better design than I was expecting. Not it's not like the other one. Generic rants. When was this site last updated? What's that last update up there? The generic answer, are you a boring mainstream homo? <laughs> Take the quiz and find out. <laughs> okay, the last things I'm seeing on here is 2010. But this, obviously by the design... It was not built in 2010. Can you look at the background? I'm just noticing the background. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's literally... It's tit clams. Well, no, it's uh, the clothing pin, but... It's tit clamps. <laughs> well, they're a rainbow. So, you know, it makes it better. Oh, anyway, where was I? Okay. I Like I said, I'm ADHD. I get excited when I learn things like that because it's just fascinating to me. I think it's fa- fascinating. I think Queer Core is fucking awesome. Thank you, Punk, for giving us that Don't lovely search treat. tit clamps on your computer. But like I said, there is there is a tie between Queer Core and Green Day. Um There was a popular queercore band called Pansy Division, and they're, like, regarded as one of the first openly gay, like, bands touring, and Green Day, like, invited them out with them to tour, and one venue up in Virginia, of course, um, was, like, they can't play, and Green Day's, like, well, we're not fucking playing. Good for Green Day. Yeah, so they're awesome, and also, for those who don't know, Billy Joe is by. Did you not know that? Did not know that. Oh, we're going to be talking about it. It's exciting. Did not know that. But so there's some, t- I'm assuming there's some ties to the scene through that as well. Yeah. I couldn't tell you, but I'm assuming. But anyway, more exciting stuff to talk about in the future. But let's go back to Lookout <laughs> Records. Uh, in 1988, Green Day signs with them. They released their first EP called A Thousand Hours. It was also around this time. They dropped their name from Sweet Jesus. I'm sorry. Sweet Jesus. Uh, that actually is in my notes. From Sweet Children. <laughs> I just sweet. want to preface this. Oh, no, as I have preface anymore. We haven't had nothing to drink tonight. No. We're drinking water. Literally, me and Leah just had like, both had insane days. Just, just busy work tired. days. And it got to the point where I texted, you want pizza tonight or? Yes. So that's where we're at. Um, but anyway, so they changed her name from Sweet Children because there's already a band called Sweet Baby, but also known as Sweet Baby Jesus. Uh, so that's where I got confused. Um, and they didn't want to be mistaken. So they changed their name to Green Day. And it's inspired by the love of nature, such as trees, grass, mountains. Grass. Yeah, Jake, Jake it's, about, <laughs> it's about weed. Your good old cannabis. Because um, this is punk after all. Let's keep that in mind. In uh, California. <laughs> in California. Now, Armstrong supposedly says it's the worst band name ever. And I'm like, 
Have Sir, you heard half the names we have mentioned on Mr. this podcast? Mr. Armstrong, I would like to submit to you the variety of names that me and Leah have heard. <laughs> Bluesology. That's up there. Chicken Shack. Also up there. There have been some brilliant names there, yeah. that have come through. So I guarantee you, you're fine. <laughs> uh, but they release a few more EPs. I don't usually cover too much about early work because mainly I find bands don't really get their footing until a little bit later but i do have to men- mention this odd descent of album titles so we got a thousand hours then they release 39 slash smooth then an ep called slappy <laughs> then 1039 slash smoothed out slappy hours slappy hours that's a great band name i love the descent that they they went down the list and then they're like all of them why not all um, I don't know why also this comes to my head, but the only thing I think of when I see that is bee boo boo bop boo bop. Like, I feel like what I just read is the chronological album equivalent to the <laughs> iconic scene. So t- take, take what you will after, out of that. So in 1990, Kiff Meyer is leaving the band to attend college. Lame. Whatever. Go get an education, I guess. Yeah, I guess. If you want to succeed. <laughs> sure um but this is where we see the introduction of trey cool now very cool very (laughs) i'm calling him very cool from the rest of this episode (laughs) so with very in the works (laughs) the band starts working on their second album called kerplunk which was released in 1991 musically wise it's green day Tick all the boxes. It's a perfect punk album. Um, the album artwork was a bit controversial. It was originally pulled from shelves. On the front, it featured a woman with a freshly fired gun. And on the back, there's a man who was a recipient of that bullet. Inside the sleeve, it featured a letter from a super fan named Lori L. But here's the thing. Lori L isn't real. Guess who wrote it? Billy. Larry Livermore. <laughs> Get it? Lori L. Oh, my Larry God. Larry L. It's great. Um, when it was originally released, it sold 50,000 copies, which is, like, really great for an independent label. Yeah. And that's when they start, like, getting noticed. So some major labels start kind of coming to come talk to them. And also, side note, that album, like later in the future, went to like four million copies worldwide. Dang. It became like the best selling album from an independent label, like one of the best. Anyway, so major labels start coming over to schmooze them and they're like, hey, come get dinner. Hey, here's some tickets to Disneyland. And the band's like, nah, we want to just talk to a rep. We want to get this deal on the table. And finally, they go with, uh, I didn't write down his name. His last name's Cavallo. I'm surprised I didn't write him down because he's actually like, he's just a really good consultant of him. But after deliberation, they go with Reprise Records, Left to Look Out, um, which is the really cool thing, though, is like after they left Look Out, because they understand they're an independent label, they're moving on. 
they actually made sure that Lookout gets all the proceeds from like Kerplunk and everything they made with them, which doesn't happen. No. When you switch over. Normally it's the new label. Yeah. So he like set them up, which is really awesome. Um, But as you can imagine, here they are enjoying success, enjoying the fruits of their labor. And what does the underground punk scene do? Fucking lose their shit. Because they got signed? Yeah, because they got signed. And I read a story that one day, like, years after Dookie, which we're going to talk about a little bit, Billy Joe would be, like, walking down the street, and someone would just yell at them, sell out. <laughs> to which he replied, what makes you think I give a fuck about what you think? Yeah. That's Anyway, but they're just mad at them. The Gilman bans them because they're pissed. And Punk Rock MBA was just talking, like, how, like, the punk scene is very much, like, work hard and respect others. Like, they even, like, I think this is in the Gilman. They had a, like, spray-painted sign because everything's spray-painted for signs. Um, and the quote was, nothing is more punk than being self-determined and respecting the self-determination of others. Yeah. But that only applies if you're in the underground. If you get big, fuck you. You're yep. a sellout. And moral of the story, people get elitism out of rock. Seriously, it's killing yeah. it. It's killing it. It's the ultimate truth. But anyway, let's get back to here because we got to talk about Dookie. Then all this fucking album <laughs> raised me as a kid. <laughs> and that's not going to be the only time I say that phrase. Um, but what a legendary album that like every band from my era cites as their inspiration. Yeah. Like if you were in the Warp Tour, sorry, the Warp Tour 2005 genre, as I like to call it. Like, Green Day's Dookie is on your list of best albums. Now, I'll be honest. I really like Green Day. Am I there? Is it, like, my absolute favorite band? No. But I like them. And mainly because Dookie is, like, a masterpiece. It's the Mona Lisa of 90s and 2000 rock. Yeah. Like, I love, I love, like, Dookie. And I love, next album we're going to talk about coming up in the future Cause that's where my music came from. So it's like, they're kind of like a founding father kind mm-hmm. of thing, but let me get some stats out of the way. Cause you know, you got to cover the stats about an album. It was recorded in three weeks and then released Dang. in early 1994. It originally only sold 9,000 copies, but by the summer of that year, they just took off big time. 9,000 is so few. Well, don't worry because by summer they certify diamond Jeez, and okay. sold 20 million copies worldwide. And then they won a Grammy for it for Best Alternative Album in 1995. And of course, it's on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. But surprisingly, it is not on the Library of Congress's National Registry. They need to fix that. That's horseshit, but that's the establishment for you. The government doesn't want us to have our green day. No. Let's, I mean, it doesn't help that they wrote American Idiot, but... They don't want us to have our green day. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that later. Um, but anyway... So around this time, grunge is sadly on the decline, which really worked to the advantage of punk um, because it's kind of alternative. But also I kind of see grunge audience kind of similar camps, even though they would hate to say that between punk and grunge. They're kind of similar camps. So I think that's why it really worked in their favor because you need that next thing to go to. And keep in mind before Green Day, punk was not mainstream at all. Like, so they had a newer pull to it. 
But what I really want to talk about is like the content behind it. So a lot of bands starting with like the 60s into the 80s would like allude to a lot of different taboo subjects such as drugs, sex, sex, (laughs) drugs, and rock and roll. And rock and roll. (laughs) But the key element in that phrase is alluded because let's get one thing straight. Punk does not allude (laughs) It just fucking says it and expects you to deal with it. Just like I stuck a needle in my arm. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) That's exactly right. And so with that said, Green Day sticking to that punk DIY tradition that was around for a while, just blatantly writes about subjects such as anxiety, masturbation, sexual identity, murder, divorce. Some casual murder. Yeah, you know, just some cash murder. No big deal. Um, so while this was in the punk scene and I have to, I actually had to go back and redact my notes a little bit. Well, not redact, but I kind of had to revise it a smidge because I wrote what I was about to say. And then, um, oh, so I originally wrote that this was like the first time we see this style of writing in mainstream rock, which there is some truth to it. But then after I finished writing that section, I went on TikTok and I saw a video of Nina Simone doing the same very similar songwriting style of just stating this is what's happening. And so once again, this serves as another humble reminder that black women are one, awesome, but two probably started it. And the white man took it over. Yep. So that's a little reminder. I'm glad that I came across that video before I said something stupid. Thank you, TikTok. Thank you for that. But anyway, in the mainstream rock, this is where we see lyrics changing. And not romanticizing taboo subjects. For example, Basket Case, which Josh and I immediately started singing along to as I went back and watched the music video. Um, But it is overtly about like paranoia and drug habits. Like it doesn't hide it at all. In fact, in just like three minutes, like Billy Joe, the singer, takes you on like an adventure of saying he thinks he's crazy He's going to a shrink that says he needs sex to make him feel better. And he goes to a male prostitute to find peace from his anxiety. Like he's just blatantly saying it. There's no like smoothing it out and making it pleasurable for the audience to just have that grand appeal. Yeah. That ain't happening here. And I did not know he was talking about a male prostitute, by the way. But I had to go back in my research and I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. No one told me that. Yeah, I don't think I knew that either. Yeah. But um, in a Rolling Stones interview, Billy Joe says regarding it, he said, quote, it's not as black and white as you think. This isn't your grandfather's prostitute. Or maybe it was. Ooh. It's a little saucy. Um, anyway, I just love bands that just do that. Yeah. That's so punk. It's just like, I'm just going to fucking talk about it. Yeah. But like I said, you see that songwriting so really to take like, think about 2000s. Like, it's just... I see that change yeah. and how that got developed. But anyway, before we get to the 2000s, let's wrap up the 90s here because we have a whole other half decade of music to touch base on. So as they're hitting international acclaim, their shows like become insane. Like one show in Boston was cut short due to a rampage where 100 people were injured, 45 arrested. 45 people arrested? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Then they happened to play a little shit show well, two little shit shows. Woodstock 99. 94. 94. 94 and Lollapalooza. And I'm sure your local rock history class will tell you how bad those were. <laughs> um, but anyway, I think at both shows, there was like, 
The band helps start mud fights. Hey, that sounds fun. It does sound fun. I've been to a mud fight. They are actually very fun because you fun. just slide and yeah. throw mud. It's great. Um, so I fondly have titled this next section called Other Albums Before American Idiot. <laughs> just the other ones that people forget about. Yeah. And I'm going to do a flyby one because of time. Um, but just, just to put them on your radar, you can look into them in your own time. So in 1995, after Dookie is released, they their next album is Insomniac. It was well-received critically. It sold like 3 million copies. Um, the album was also heavier in sense of tone and lyrics because like the underground of punk just calling themselves was just pissing them off. And it just really started weighing on them. So anyway, it's a little bit darker album. You learn more about it. In 1997, they released an album called Nimrod, which did pretty good critically, did okay commercially. Um, it did contain the song Time of Your Life, Good Riddance, which is played at every middle school dance. Yes. Everybody danced to that, even though it's about a breakup. All the couples still dance to also, it. Also, people weirdly used it in graduation videos. Yes. <laughs> even... <laughs> anyway, <laughs> context was not on on uh, the 2000s. <laughs> plate no. <laughs> let's just say that um but fun fact it originally was also supposed to be on dookie but they didn't feel like it matched so yeah, they saved it, it yeah it was smart and then in 2000 they released an album called warning which was a little bit of a different direction um it contained a collection of folk ska and surf rock what I don't know if I I could see ska and surf rock being categorized together but I don't know how folk really goes <laughs> into that but okay, sure. Um, it was experiment. Also, if you haven't noticed, there's a little bit of a downward slope happening here. With each album, their popularity begins to wane and it's kind of getting chipped away at. And you want to know why they're declining, Leah? Because no one wants to listen to punk anymore. They want to listen to new metal. God damn it, Limp Biscuit! you ruin everything. <laughs> We're back here again. We'll always come. There are two things on this podcast we'll always come back to. Soft potato tacos and Limp Biscuit. and how it ruined it. Soiled it. Soiled, Soiled it. it. <laughs> anyway. This has been an episode very full of Spongebob references. Yeah. That's, that's all I think about. Um, anyway, from 2000 to 2003, they're just doing their thing, you know, the typical rotation of tour write, record, vibing, vibing, if you will. And they start working on their next album called Cigarettes and Valentines, which I really like as a title. I, yeah, I like it. However, that album would never see light of day. Uh, that's why I was like, I don't know that album. Because be it why. got stolen. What the fuck? So literally, they were mixing and mastering when it got stolen. Someone stole a whole album? Whole album. And instead of recording the album, the band said, fuck it. It started a new album. The universe said no. Well, I'm glad the universe said no, because you know what that next album they did? American Idiot? That's right. Okay. And before we go into the comeback of a lifetime, we need to take a brief side quest <laughs> and talk about a band called The Network. So there was a band called The Network. Billy Joe signed them to his record label called Adeline Records. Many rumors have floated around about this band. Rumor one, they possibly stole the content of Cigarettes and Valentines and reworked it in an album called, and let me remind you, this album was released in 2003. 
The album's called Money Money 2020. I don't like that. It literally, I, I mean, I didn't listen to all of it, but it's like how money is like ruining the world. Which hmm. is, that mm. sounds familiar. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but then the band goes on the 15 year hi- hiatus. No one's heard it from them since until October 2020 when they become active again and announce another album called Money Money Part Two. We told you so. They that's I don't like that. I don't know how to react to that. (laughs) Rumor number two. So they all perform under masks and conceal their identity. So no one knows who they are. But could this band actually be? Green Day. So let me present some evidence. Let me present some evidence. Here is an excerpt from their website, Network's website. The network were formed in the year 2003, fulfilling an ancient prophecy predicting that... An ancient prophecy? (laughs) (laughs) We, its chosen members, would issue a stern warning to mankind in the form of music. Released as an album titled Money Money 2020, we shine the headlights upon the follies and vanity of mankind, rapidly achieving fame and fortune. We had often been mistaken as the planet's greatest rock and roll band, Green Day. This earthly comparison is almost as comical as the humans that inhabit this dying planet. They have to be Green Day. I don't think they're Green Day. I think they're just crazy. So, this is... uh, Here's evidence number two. I'm going to show you a picture of this band. With their masks? Yeah. There's no pictures of them without a mask. Wait, wait, wait. They wrote an album about 2020 and they wear masks? Uh, That's what I'm trying to tell you. So I want you to look here. We're going to focus in. So there's the band. We're going to focus in. From here, honestly, the guy in the middle could be from LMFAO. We're going to focus in on this gentleman right here. Okay. So I'm going to hand you the laptop real quick. Look at the the man, the man in the white mask. And then we got some Nacho Libre. Visualize Mike Dirt. I don't know. Because to me, type in Mike Dirt. Because to me, that man has such distinguishable cheekbones. D-I-R-N-T. And not any T. All right. He does have some cheekbones. That's what I'm saying. Side by side, yeah. I, I'm saying I easily think this is Green Day. Now, which ones? Well, I guess Stripe Face could be Billy that's Joe. That's Billy Joe. Easily Billy Joe. All right. Now, because all of their content on their social media is them saying not even Green Day could accomplish this. Like they're always talking about Green Day. They have to be Green Day. Why does this guy? I found this. So there's this picture. Why does the one dude in the middle look like the dude from SNL, though? He looks like Pete Davidson. Well, <laughs> so. Doesn't he? Yeah. Well, they <laughs> also think it's like a combo of like Devo and Green Day. So those like two bands mesh together. I'm calling it. I think they're Green Day. I think it's bullshit. Like, call Everyone, it what you will. Go look. We'll give you some comparisons. Yes. And send us a message with what you think. We'll take a poll. We'll take a poll. But also in 2013, Mike Dirt kind of said, yeah, it is us after they've like all denied it. But like they've also toured with Green Day in the past. They just opened for themselves. 
They opened for themselves. That's exactly what I'm saying. Has so, anyone seen these guys and Green Day in the same room? That, that's what I'm saying. Now, I have reached out to the network out of doing my due diligence as a journalist. And we'll see if they answer back. <laughs> but I have asked them the hard-hitting questions. So if I hear back from them... We'll do a special update. We will update you. But anyway, there's the tea on that. So our side quest is complete. We now have enough XP to move on to the main journey. Now to American Idiot. Now this fucking album raised me. This album... <laughs> Holy shit. Is middle school. It's 2004, folks. Yes. And every damn kid... Growing up in the rock scene. We're drawing the grenade on our notebooks. Correct. <laughs> on our binders, to on the history binder, we are drawing the hand with the heart grenade. Yes. That's just what's happening. Um, but for some reason, if you haven't listened to this album, what the fuck are you doing listening to Stop us? Stop this show. Turn us Pause. off. We'll stay. We'll, we'll be right here. <laughs> Go listen to this album. It's incredible. But anyway, let me get the quick accolades out of the way here. Won a Grammy in the 500 greatest albums of all time sold 60 million copies worldwide went six times platinum sadly it is also not in the national registry get your shit together congress <laughs> i'm sorry they, they gave you the hard truths but you know it is a work of art that deserves to be preserved. congress don't be an american idiot correct uh but let's actually talk about it so american idiot is a rock opera punk rock opera slash concept album that follows the main character jesus of suburbia as he wrestles with 9-11 and the iraq war ultimately turning into an anti-hero fun fact this album was released two months before the 2004 election which i think is fascinating i mean it makes sense yeah oh completely but some background in- info after the band lost their cigarettes in valentine's album or did they uh their longtime consultant and producer rob cavallo came in and really asked them like do you guys think that was your best work like are you really he gave like, him a locker room speech he did <laughs> oh yeah he pulled the team in it's the half court it's the half time he's pulling them in giving them the, the talk and they said no so they committed to taking a few months and writing a new album and it wasn't until the middle of the process that they realized hey I think this is a concept album and they could see how like different things would flow into the other. And in that light, they started listening to Broadway cast plays performances, I should say. And that, and they kind of put this nice fun punk spin on it. And that's why we need theater. Correct. And to give you some insight into why this album is important. I mean, it just summed up the crisis of what the U S was going through because it wasn't just nine 11 and the Iraq war. It was the culture war that really started picking up speed. And in my view, even though this isn't a political podcast, it's now out of control thanks to social media and the internet. And it's arguably why we're in the fucking mess we are today. It also became really relevant again around election season. Yes. I was listening to it in my car. (laughs) Yep. And so Billy Joe says during that time, he would like see how the media would stir up hysteria amongst viewers hmm. and he just felt a lot of confusion and anger hmm. of how the situation were being handled i also read like he didn't let his kids who are our age like watch tv that's a smart parenting yeah because he's like this is just too insane what they're doing but as you stated it has aged incredibly well it, it is which still is relevant. sad <laughs> it is sad it should not have aged as well as it did <laughs> that is correct <laughs> 
but it's still relevant. But it just kind of blows my mind that we're still talking about it as such a cultural impact as it is. And speaking of which, Josh, come here. Come here. And now introducing special guest, Josh Charpley. Josh is like a huge, huge, huge Green Day fan. Like bigger than me. Like I said, I really like Green Day. You can let him out. Oh, fuck. Here we go. Uh, Don't touch the equipment. Don't touch the equipment. Don't touch the equipment. Hi, Mia. Mia. Yeah, keep her there. Josh, if you could just take the mic and join the show real quick. How are we doing, folks? So we're talking about Green Day's American Idiot. The Broadway show. Correct. Great great show. It's a great show. Great show. Was it based on something? (laughs) Anyway, I need you and your words because I've explained to the audience I really like Green Day. I'm not their biggest fan. Just in general, they're not my absolute favorite band I die by, but they are the founding fathers of everything I've listened to, so I love them for that. But you are a much bigger fan of Green Day than I am. Yeah. Explain to me, because you're what? It's 2004, so you're what, 13? Mm-hmm. 13. Yeah, 13. So explain to me as a 13-year-old how that Im- how that album impacted you and why it's important to you. Well, it was just... Like, I don't know what 13-year-olds are listening to these days. <laughs> it's not anything it's- good. <laughs> <laughs> Fortnite song. Fortnite song. Although my niece does listen to uh, K-pop and BTS, and it's not too bad. Yeah. But I like pop music. But, um, but it was the biggest piece of music ever and I it was like Tony Hawk Pro Skater was going oh, on oh yeah and Jackass was going on so it was like that MTV VH1 Fuse culture and then out of nowhere Green Day who had always written good songs put out the biggest album in the world and so it was skater kids listening to it football jock kids were listening to it normies were listening to it but it was also something where I mean, it it was the music we loved, but then out of nowhere, it became the biggest album in the world, and it was just really, really good. Yeah. Although as a kid, it made me really mad that, or it made me sad that they were mean to George Bush. But that's. <laughs> I think you got over that though, real quick. <laughs> <laughs> as a thirteen-year-old kid in Utah. But, yeah. You know, what are you gonna do? <laughs> what are you gonna do? My country ass felt the same way about the Dixie Chicks. So. <laughs> oh, you all felt betrayed. <laughs> it's hard. Sorry, I had a five-year-old. I had a five-year-old brother. He was five years older than me, so like anything he listened to, I was like, "Yeah, fuck it, let's do it." You <laughs> <laughs> listen to Green Day. I'm listening to Green Day. You listen to Under Earth. I'm listening to Under Earth. Fuck what they gotta say, and then I'd go to church. <laughs> <laughs> but it was. I mean, I watched MTV two back in the day. Fuse was a thing in the yeah, day. Yeah, Fuse. And so, American Idiot, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, Jesus of Suburbia. Holiday, but mainly American Idiot and the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Yeah. It's just massive. Yeah. Um, and we were still skater kids, and it was incredible. Yeah. Thank you, Josh. You're welcome. I appreciate it. So that's why I wanted to bring Josh here because he, that's the lasting impact. Yes. Of what that album was. It was such a cultural phenomenon that it's hard to put to words like how it truly impacted. All of us in our generation. Us 90s kids. The 90s kids going into 2000s. <laughs> Who have suffered the most generational trauma. Yeah. No. <laughs> Sometimes I watch TikToks and they're like, they're millennials and they're like, you wonder why we drink 9-11, recession, Iraq war, 
And now the pandemic. The, the pandemic. Let's just add another one to the <laughs> We're list. We're fine. It's fine. Yeah, it's all good. But anyway, like Josh mentioned, you know, besides the cultural impact it had on us growing up, there was documentaries done on it. There was a musical, which supposedly Donald Trump went to the first opening of it which did he not know it's about him that's hilarious did he not know it's about him no anyway um there's also talk about a feature film it didn't happen damn it that would have been so good i'm actually glad it didn't happen i also this is a tangent for another time i don't really like musicals done about either movies or other albums that i grew up it's just something for me i feel the same way about the it's Queen not musical. my favorite but I like more like like a Hamilton. Like there's true innovation happening yeah. there. But Jukebox musicals, the only good one is Mamma Mia. Yeah, I agree. Mamma Mia is an exception to the rule. Yes. Absolutely. So anyway, Life After American Idiot proved successful for the band. They released a few more albums. Uh, there's 21st Century Breakdown, Uno Dos Trey. <laughs> I'm sorry, Uno Dos Very. <laughs> 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 which were all separate albums like each of them anyway and then there was revolution radio and then father of all motherfuckers which is true they were the father of our motherfucking they generation were. um and they have sold like 75 million <coughs> albums worldwide they've received 20 grammy nom- nominations and won five in 2015 they were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame by fallout boy and yet through all That's their cute. success, I know it's adorable, <laughs> yet through all their success, they have remained committed to their mission, speak the fuck up. And I mean, these guys have not lost their ambition to write politically charged music in a punk fashion. And because of that, there's this lengthy line of artists that have been inspired by them. I already mentioned the 2005 warp Tour genre, which is my new phrase. All of them. I feel like it is its own genre. But that includes MCR, Sum 41, Blink-182, Paramore. Also, apparently Lady Gaga's first album was Dookie. And she, you can see that attitude and how it influenced her sound for sure. And then I wanted to also make a note. They really love their fans because they would like give away guitars at shows. Like people would just stage dive. And then they would like bring people up. To like, hey, you know the solo to this and just throw him a guitar and let him play it. That's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. And we just, we needed Green Day in a society. Like, I love them. Like I said, they're just the founding fathers of the rock music for the 90s and 2000s and even arguably the 2010s. And that's my outline. Here's your laptop for outro notes. We're not drinking anything. We haven't drank anything in a while, mainly because Leah's running races these days we're old now and yeah go to the gym in the morning that's true how do you turn off what did you do to my laptop i don't know what i did why is it so zoomed in (laughs) because i'm old Thanks for listening. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We'd love it if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. Please. 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 I'm begging you. Every every week I get on here and beg you. Uh, Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram or TikTok at She Will Rock You Podcast. Join our Facebook group, She Will Rock You Podcast fam. 
We're going to try to get better about posting stuff in there. Uh, you can also follow us personally on Instagram at BethAnnTarkley and at LeahElizabeth.J. If you have some thoughts, shoot them over to our email, shewillrockypodcast at gmail.com. And remember, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs.